It is indeed Merry Christmas, but you know, if we really dial it back to the most basic thing, do you know we're celebrating a birthday party for Jesus? Did you ever actually think about that? It's a birthday party for the baby Jesus, and somehow we've made it all about us. But it's really all about Him. You know, we don't often here get Christmas Day services on Sunday morning. We've just chosen to have services on Christmas Eve and to let you gather with families and whatever else goes on Christmas Day. So this is pretty cool that we get Christmas Day Sunday morning. And we were just talking before the service. I said, what are we doing next year? Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. Well, we're just going to start our celebration real early in the morning, I think is what will happen. Because you know what? We want to celebrate Jesus for all that we can. We talked last night about the incredible gift that God gave us in, gave us in Jesus. Paul talks about in Corinthians, he says the inexpressible gift. Almost like we don't have words to describe how great the gift of Jesus is. Maybe that's why we, we wrap Christmas up and, and we give gifts to each other because it's, it's almost beyond our comprehension that God would do what he did. So here we are now, Sunday morning, we're wrapping up our celebration of Christmas as you unwrap your gifts, and the next thing that you look forward to is next Sunday. What happens next Sunday? Well, it's a brand new year. So it's a good time to think about what are we going to do as a church, rather than resolutions. I'm not a big resolutions guy. We, we don't have New Year's Day sermons talking about resolutions. But this year, we're going to do something different. We're going to start a long series on getting back to the basics. And the basics of our faith are all contained in the Bible. And so we're going to take a long, long look, starting in Genesis 1-1, and we're going to go all the way through Resurrection Sunday, just doing kind of a, a survey course, not a graduate-level deep dive, but a survey course of what is in the Old Testament that leads up to the birth of Jesus. As we've gone through this pandemic and, and we've gotten to meet more people and different folks are calling our church their home, we don't all share the same knowledge and understanding and background of the Bible as everybody else does. And so it seems like it's a good idea to say, let's get on the same page. Let's just all start and get back to the basics. And so we're going to do that. This might surprise you, but as we celebrate Christmas and as we gathered last night, one of the simple realities is that not everybody believes in the Christ who we celebrate at Christmas. For a lot of people, it's just a holiday. It's an excuse to do things a little bit different, to get and to give presents and, presents and take time off of work. Not everybody celebrates the Christ that's in Christmas. And so I want to start this, this long look at the Bible with this question. Why do you believe what you believe? If you gathered with your family last night and there was any part of your celebration that was about Jesus, had you thought about why? Where did it come from? Who, who first planted that seed of faith in you? Where did it first begin that Christmas was even more than the presence and the people and the gathering and all that other stuff? It was really all about Jesus. Where did that come from for you? Why do you believe what you believe? Is it because someone told you? Is it because you heard something? So take a step backwards. What about life? Because we all believe in different stuff. The easy one to poke fun at is politics, right? Everybody has political leanings, whatever side of the aisle that you fall on. Do you believe and do you support your favorite politician or your favorite party because they've proven themselves to be trustworthy and consistent and truthful and promise keepers? I didn't think so. See, politics is one of the things that we believe in. And it gets to be one of those things that we're even willing to fight for 
But at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really matter nearly as much as Jesus. And so why do you believe what you believe? Why, why do you put your faith and hope and trust in things if you don't put them in Jesus first? We've went through a stretch here where it's uh, 15, 16, 18, 48 below wind chill out there. You believe that when you go outside to start your car, it's going to start. And then for some of you, it disappoints you. Because the things that we believe in don't always follow through. Not just people, but stuff. And in 40 below weather, cars are one of them. When you get up and you go to work every day and it's cold and you don't want to, you do it in part because you believe that there's going to be a paycheck at the end of the pay period for you. There's probably been a promise or some consistency that says that that's coming. We all believe in something. And the things that we believe in matter because when we run into a question or we run into a conflict or a struggle or a crisis, whether you think about it or not, we fall back on those things that we believe in to help carry us through. Right now, the world is looking for a a hero. The world is looking for some kind of a savior to take the mess that the world seems to be in and, and to make sense of it and to make us all think that we're okay. The Bible talks about that person. It's called the Antichrist, the Antisavior. And so why do you believe in what you believe in? Because when you get pushed to the wall, whatever it is, what you believe in is going to help you make the decisions about what your next steps are going to be. See, some things are presented as truth, not to confuse us, not to divide us, but to unite us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us hope. Some of you watch Hallmark movies for that reason. But you know, that's what the Bible is for. The Bible is to unite us and strengthen us and encourage us and give us hope, to give us a glimpse of what Hallmark movies try to capture, and that's love. And when God sent us Jesus, it was the greatest statement of love the world will ever know. But if you don't believe in the Christ of Christmas, you don't understand that. And so we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to take a long look at the Bible, and we've got to start with the question, do you believe that the Bible is true? Do you, do you believe that it's a good book? Do you believe that it's interesting that there's some, there may be some moral truth to it or whatever that might be, but at the end of the day, eh, there's mistakes and all kinds of stuff in it? Or do you believe that it's true because God presents the Bible as absolutely true? Or maybe to you it's no more than a collection of stories, fables, meant to tell a tale and maybe give some good moral direction. We've got Aesop's fables for that kind of stuff. We don't need something else. The Bible's much more than that. See, the answer to what you believe about the Bible makes all the difference in your life right now, and it makes all the difference for your eternity. It makes a difference forever. So why would you believe in the Bible? If you celebrate Christmas and you don't believe in the Christ of Christmas, you probably don't believe in the Bible either. And the thing is, is that we get so close to an understanding when we bump up against it by going to church that maybe we need to take the time and really stop and think about why we believe what we believe. So what's the Bible anyway? Very simply, the Bible, these are the ones we give out. If you don't have one, please get one. If you do not own a Bible, on the way out, our man Trevor would love to give you one of these in the worship center. Am I right, Trevor? I'm putting you on the spot. Yes, he says, because he doesn't have another choice. We buy a bunch of these and we give a bunch of these out because these are a great way to get started reading the Bible. If you don't have one... Please stop by there after this service and get one. But do you believe it's true? 
It's a book, collection of 66 different books, by uh, books and letters, actually, written in three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke, and Greek. It was written over a span of 1,500 years by a whole bunch of different authors. Some say possibly as many as 40. And there was different settings, social, political, economic, military, all kinds of different settings that comprise the way that this Bible was written. So a, a fair question would be, how is it possible for all the words that are in the Bible to consistently tell this deeply connected slice of human history that all points to the same person, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate? How is that even possible? One of the arguments people have is it's just a book written by a bunch of men. They just put down what they wanted us to believe. Here's the thing. When you start reading and studying the Bible, you realize there's connections between those books that no matter how hard they tried over those 1,500 years, it couldn't have been done the way that it was. And the reason is that, yes, it's true that the Bible was written by men. They, they put the words down on animal skins and paper and pounded out flattened reeds, but the author of the Bible is the creator of all things. God is the author of the Bible. Yes, it's true that men wrote the words down, but the author is God. That's why we refer to it as God's Word. The Bible is God's Word because it came from Him. What's the purpose of it? It's the primary way that we are able to know who God is. We also understand who Jesus is because of what the Bible tells us about Him. So let's agree for the moment on one thing. Let's just agree that God is real and the Bible is real for the sake of argument. I absolutely believe that they are. It's why I do what I do. In fact, I believe it so passionately, I don't understand why anybody doesn't believe in it. I love having conversations with people who don't believe because I so completely do believe. So let's assume for a moment that it's real, that the Bible really is what God says that it is. All right. So other than the Bible, take that out for a moment. How would you possibly know that Jesus was real or that there was a God if it wasn't for Scripture? How would you possibly know through your life experience? How would you know that God exists or that Jesus was real unless someone had told you? And then go back a generation before that and say, how would they know? And so what's happening is you're getting this same truth passed along from one person to another, which is how in the very beginning the words of the Bible came to us. The truth was passed on from one person to another until it was written down. There is this consistency throughout history of God at work in people's lives because one person told another person God's truth. That's not a new thing because throughout history, people have made up stories as a way of explaining things they didn't understand, whether it was with the stars or things on earth. But God didn't do that. Because in the very beginning, where we're starting next week, it says that in the beginning, God created. All of that stuff that people try to find other ways of explaining, the Bible tells us how it came to be. See, God didn't tell a story. God, in His Word, tells us His story. And the reason He does that is so that we can accurately and in a very real way understand who He is and His character. And when we do that we begin to get a better understanding of who Jesus we celebrate at Christmas is. Another thing the Bible does is it, it gives us answers to the biggest questions that all of us ask. And we all ask the same ones. You get to an age sometime in your teens and you hit the, why am I here? What am I doing? What is my purpose? I'm supposed to start thinking about a job. What am I even doing here? 
Those are big, important questions. Matthew 4.4 4 says this, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How do we know what comes from the mouth of God? Because it's recorded in his word. Which means the answer to those big questions that God put in our minds are found in his word. God gave us the Bible to sustain us through this life. Yes, it's a manual for godly living, but it's so much more than that. The Bible isn't just a how-to or a must-do book. It's a get-to book. It's a promise book. It's a prophecy book. It's a history book. Speaking about the big questions again, how about who am I? If you've ever wondered about that, 1 John 3 says, you are a beloved child of God, that you were created in God's image, and that, that our time on earth, why am I here? Because we're here to reflect the image of God and to care for creation. Ecclesiastes 12 says you're here to love and worship God and to serve Him with your whole life. Why do we gather on Christmas Eve? Why do we gather on Sunday morning? To learn about God, but even more important than that, to worship and honor and to glorify Him because something in us knows that God alone is worthy of that. There's a lot of other things that you could be doing right now. But you know, something in you was drawn to come because you realize that God has done something in your life that's worthy setting a little bit of time aside to thank him for it. How about what happens when I die? That's a big one. Religions have spun off trying to answer that question, and some have said nothing. You just die and become worm food, that's all. Some say, well, you get to keep coming back over and over and over and over again. The Bible has a very different answer. The Bible says that when we die, one day we'll all have it face the day of judgment. That all of us are going to stand before God and we're going to answer to this life. The devil's going to accuse us of every wrong thing you've ever done or thought of. And man, when that's done, it is going to sound awful for us. But then God's going to do something very simple like look at Jesus and say, Son, do you know this one? Did this one acknowledge you? Did they, did they believe in you? Do you know who this is? And Jesus is going to have a very simple answer. Yes, Father, this is one of mine. Or Jesus is going to say, No, I don't know them. And the answer to that question determines the rest of our eternity because it's an answer that's decided while we're here on earth. The Bible makes that very clear. God doesn't send anyone to hell. In fact, God's desire is that no one would have to go there. But God does allow us to go to the place of our choosing after the day of judgment. The Bible makes clear that what happens is that some of us will choose to spend an eternity with God, and the Bible talks about that. And some of us will spend an eternity forever separated from God. And the Bible talks about that. And we have this life to make that decision. See, the, the Bible is so much more than a, than a story or a fable or just a, a set of warnings or lessons. Those are all in there. But it's more than that. It, it's one of the ways that God has chosen to communicate who he is to us as humans. This God that is beyond our understanding, that is, is greater and, and more intelligent and more wise and more loving than we will ever hope to be, communicates who he is through his word. But God didn't stop there. Because it, it didn't seem that people were listening. It didn't seem that people were getting it. They had part of the Bible, which we know as the Old Testament. They had his presence among them and, and him speaking to a variety of different people. But that still didn't seem to be enough. So God did the unimaginable. God did what seems to be the impossible. He came to earth. The word is incarnate. God became one of us. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. When God came to earth, he so much wanted us to understand who he was and how much he loved us that he sent us Jesus as another testimony of the truth of God. God born as a human child, 
as the ultimate witness to the power of the love of God for all of humanity. We talked last night and we kind of got together at the end and I had people say, you know, Jesus is God's gift to me. And that's true. It's still true this morning. It'll be true forever. Jesus is God's or God is, excuse me, Jesus is God's gift to you. Whether you believe in him or not, Jesus is God's gift to you. And so with Jesus, we've got the the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, these promises of God foretelling the coming of the Messiah that Israel looked forward to for so many years. They told of the plans of God hundreds of years before we saw them in the world. So prophecies, they're they're an interesting thing. Prophecies are something that, that a lot of people have tried to get right. But you know what? There's a proof test in prophecies. If you're a prophet, you're never wrong. If it's from God, you're never wrong. If you're a prophet that makes a prophecy that is wrong, it didn't come from God, it came from your imagination. See, biblical prophecies, they're a compelling part of the proof check in the Bible for the accuracy of God. Because they describe events oftentimes in specific detail. People and places and times and world events in a way that's really easy to check after the fact. See, prophecies, they're nothing new. There's this guy called Nostradamus that lived. And people are going through his prophecies, trying to understand what they were looking at and what he was speaking about. And and many years after the fact, you say, well, he must have been talking about the Second World War, because that makes sense and that makes sense. He must have been talking about what's happening in Israel. He must have been talking about what's happening in North Korea. We take the facts of history and try to fit it to what he called a prophecy. But there's no way you can really proof check that. Either you believe it or you don't. But he's not alone. He's not the only one. There's been religious zealots and radicalists and all kinds of people that have thrown out prophecies forever because they're a way of people drawing people to what you're trying to teach them. The difference is that every single one of them, without exception, is at best a wild guess. They're predictions. They're guesses. They're maybes as to what might happen in the future. A biblical prophecy isn't a It isn't a prediction. It isn't a guess. It's a promise. It's a promise from God of something that will happen at some point in the future. The Bible's got about 2,500 prophecies. At this point in human history, about 2,000 of them have been fulfilled accurately and exactly. The other 500, we're either living in their fulfillment right now or we're going to see them sometime in the future. What that means is there's 2,500 chances that are recorded in God's Word for God to be wrong. But God is so certain that He's never going to be wrong that they're all there for us to read and to follow and to grow in faith from. Because if ever God were to be wrong about a prophecy, He would no longer be God. But God is never wrong. Unlike people's predictions, God is never wrong. Prophecies are one of the ways that God uses to prove His faithfulness And his truthfulness. See, here's the difference. We hold God, just like we hold Christians, we hold each other to a much higher standard than we hold each other or or ourselves or other people. People try to predict the future all the time. Preachers, in the last election, it's end times. Preachers are trying to do it all the time to gather a growing congregation. Wow, what he's saying sounds really right. It matches the Bible. All they're doing is guessing. Cult leaders have done this for years oftentimes to the death of their people. But when people are wrong with those predictions, you know, you might make note of it, but then it just sort of disappears to history. We don't expect much more from people. But if God ever missed on a prophecy, that'd be a big deal. 
Because the Bible says that God is never wrong. God never just guesses or predicts. God is 100% accuracy. And his history record with human beings is 100% in the prophecy department. Because prophecies from God are promises from God, and God is a promise keeper. And the Bible makes that clear. And if God was wrong even once, he wouldn't be God anymore. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus loves you today, and Jesus is going to love you tomorrow. The reason that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago is the same reason that Jesus came to earth today, to save us from our sin. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible promises that. So, so much about what we know about God and about his son Jesus is from the Bible. And besides prophecies, how else can we know that's true? Well, the first answer is there's other historians. This guy named Josephus, he was a, a Roman. He lived in Jesus' day. He wrote all about Jesus and the world he lived in. History, though, had another prolific author, and I like to use this example. His name was William Shakespeare. Anybody ever read every word of William Shakespeare? I said, one guy. I said, well done, Mr. Superintendent. I, you were an English teacher. Okay, cheater. Anybody else ever read all the works of Shakespeare? I did. I took it in, him in college, and we were challenged by a professor to read it. I read every word. And I realized after that I probably had better read every word of the Bible because that didn't look so good, saying I'm a Christian kid and, and I'd read all of Shakespeare, but I had read all the Bible. But here's the deal. Shakespeare, when you took all of his works and you put them in a book, they're about the size of the Bible. It's about the same size book, Prince about the size. He talks about people that they're occasionally they're real people from history. But Shakespeare never claims that what he says is true. But because his work changed literature so much, he's been translated into over 60 languages. 60 languages have the works of Shakespeare that they can read and understand and, and, and get a grip on the growth of literature in our world. But what about the Bible? The Bible, same size as Shakespeare, do you know that it's been translated into more than 2,000 languages? And they're still going. They're still trying to put God's word into the, the heart language, the mother tongue of people all over the world so that they can hear God's word for themselves. Over 2,000 and counting. And in fact, <laughs> you, you try to take a look at the two, and if you've read Shakespeare, all of it, and you've read the Bible, which one's more entertaining? Bible is better reading. And the Bible does something that Shakespeare never did, is the Bible claims to be true. J.K. Rowling, she's an author, came out with a series of books about a young man named Harry Potter in 2007. You want to talk controversy? That was controversy. She wrote about a wizard. In the first 24 hours of the first book's release, you know how many copies of that book sold worldwide? 11 million. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of money. Since then, she's sold more than 500 million copies of all the books in the series. Anybody ever read all the Harry Potter books? There we got some hands going up. Now let's do the real test. Anybody ever read the Bible cover to cover? There's a few hands. Good. I'm impressed. We're going to work on that this year, okay? 11 million copies. She ended up selling more than 500 million copies. She never made the claim that Harry and his friends and their experiences were real. She never claimed that there was truth in those books. The Bible sells 50 million copies a year worldwide every year, year after year. Within 10 years, the Bible surpasses the Harry Potter series. She sold 500 million in that time. The Bible, you add it up, would have sold almost double that. Year after year after year. And yet the Bible claims to be a book of truth. 
And after all those millions of copies, if people found it not to be true, it would drop off the bestseller list like a hot potato. And yet every year, it goes back to number one because the Bible contains the truth that it claims to contain. A while ago, there was this French mathematician named Blaise Pascal. He was a brilliant man. He came up with this diagram. It's called Pascal's Wager. And I know people give it a hard time all the time, but it's a pretty, pretty good, easy way to, to take a look at faith. See, here's the thing. There's, there's basically two options that we're faced with, right? Either God exists or God doesn't. It's as simple as that. It takes a brilliant mathematician to boil it down to that. And then he said, well, you know what? It's, it's easy on the other side of the coin as well. Either I'm right or I'm wrong. God exists or God doesn't, I'm right or I'm wrong. We've got a chart. It's as simple as this. If, if you're trying to understand this, God exists, God doesn't exist. You do believe, you don't believe. If you don't believe and God doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make, it, make a bit of difference. If you believe in God and God doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. You lived a good life. You lived a good moral life. You were good to other people. You were kind. You helped folks out. If God doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. But what if God does? If God exists and you choose not to believe, the Bible says that you then have the opportunity to spend eternity in hell because that's our choice. But then he said, well, what if God exists and I do believe? Well, then we've got the opportunity to spend all of eternity in heaven. It takes this brilliant mathematician to break it down to something that's so, so simple. And when we look at the Bible, the Bible gives us all the reason, all the proof, all the documented history to believe that every word of it is true. And yet God leaves it up to us. So will you believe? See, the Bible tells us God's history of him at work among us, his people, over the course of human history. It's full of promises, plans, and prophecies, the fulfillment of prophecies, the life, the death, the resurrection of God's only son, Jesus. It's all there. Shakespeare couldn't have imagined writing a book that was better. People in history have tried. There was a, a poet in the 1800s that tried, and he, he didn't do very well. Because all of it is true. It isn't make-believe. God has been at work since before creation. Creation is when we enter his story. But God has been at work long before that, and God will continue to be at work today and in the future. So moving forward, we're going to, as a church, we're going to come together, and we're going to take a look at this book that is one of the most significant ways that we can come to know God more closely. If you do not have a Bible, please take one from us. We would love to give you one. And then go a step further. Once you've got a Bible, bring it back. Bring it on Sundays and follow along. Everyone, every week is going to have a scripture passage and, and a person or an event or a group of people that you're going to be able to learn about that's going to tie the big story together. It's that easy. So my, my hope is that next Sunday you will start bringing your Bibles to church so that we can learn and grow in God's Word together. The best-selling book through all of history. There's never been anything even close. The next most well-translated is a, is a good book, admittedly. It tells a lot of good stories. But it isn't the Bible. So in this increasingly complex and divided world of ours, I guess the, the, the greatest responsibility for us is to make sure that you have a firm foundation you are able to stand on the firm foundation that is god's word and understand why it is that you choose to put your faith and hope and trust in him and if you don't if currently you're not a part of that group i hope you'll come back and learn the reasons why we do 
because you're going to get introduced to a fascinating book and a fascinating author. Because the book that God had written has no compare. Nothing throughout human history can compare to it. It's a book of truth and promises. It tells us who God is, who Jesus is, and what you're going to find out, it tells you who you are. And even more important than that, it's going to tell you who you are to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it is that you have shared of your heart with us. Thank you for Jesus. God, we gather to celebrate him, but but so many who celebrate Christmas celebrate Christmas without the Christ. And God, it's in your word. It's in a relationship with you that we come to know him. And so, God, we are going to put time and effort. We are going to purposefully study your word. We're going to trust you. We're going to believe you. We're going to look through it and see what it is that we can learn from and grow and how it is that we can know you better. So, God, on this Christmas morning, this Christmas Day morning where we celebrate the birthday of your only son, Jesus, we look forward to next week, the first day of a new year, starting a new journey, a journey where we are going to challenge each other to spend the year looking more than anything else at your word. For all the reading that we do, God, we're going to challenge each other to read your word more than anything else. In a world that's confusing and divided and that just seems chaotic and sometimes so hopeless, we're going to read about hope. We're going to read about truth. We're going to read about your promises and we're going to read about your love for us. So God, I just pray that you would bless that journey. God, that you would grow us and that you would draw us near to you because that's where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.